I started thinking about writing the book, it was because I realized so many people didn't know what I thought were the basic things in getting a job. I would ask someone, why do you want this job? And they would say, I just really want to make more money. I want to move to San Francisco. And it's a very honest answer, but it's not really the right answer. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. This is a weekly show where one week I interview a recently hired junior developer and then the next week an expert like a senior developer or recruiter so that you can learn how to break into tech from both sides. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm bringing you an episode with Randall Connor, which we first published back in 2021. Randall is a lead engineer who's worked at prestigious companies on both sides of the interview table, and she's the author of The Standouts Developer, a highly regarded book and guide on job hunting, acing the interview, and landing your first role in tech. In this episode, you'll learn how Randall got into tech without a computer science degree, how she negotiated a huge salary bump when she learned her co-workers were paid more than her for the same job, and of course, Randall will be sharing her best advice for anyone wanting to learn to code and get a job in tech. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast. We'll get into it in just a second, but here's your quick reminder so that I don't have to interrupt the episode later to please share the episode. The more listeners we get the bigger and better guests you get to learn from plus we might give you a shout out during the break so thank you without any further ado here's one of the best and most highly rated episodes from the archive with randall i graduated college with a communications degree and i could not get hired anywhere i could not get interviews i could not get any type of job whatsoever and it was really difficult because you know i had student loans. I wanted to, you know, be employed. I wanted to be a successful person and I could not get a callback or an interview. And I just got rejection after rejection for any type of job. About six months after that, I had my aunt email me about coding boot camps, and I thought, wow, what a scam. Yeah, graduate and get a hundred K paying job. This must be fake. <laughs> and so I thought that for a little bit. And then I did my research, very in-depth research, because seven years ago, it was a little daunting to spend 15K on a boot camp, which I love. That about Scrimba is that you no longer have to pay 15K for a boot camp. And I spent about eight months teaching myself how to code, which was probably a little bit of overkill since I also attended a boot camp after that, eight months. So I spent about a year teaching myself in total. And then after I graduated my coding bootcamp, I actually got a job within two weeks, which was incredible and life-changing. How did you manage that? Actually through LinkedIn. I <laughs> went very in-depth in creating a really amazing resume because I realized that I could not compete with other students when it came to technical skills. I just couldn't. I didn't have the CS degree. I didn't have the algorithm knowledge. I didn't have the data structure knowledge. Back then, coding bootcamps spent about four days focusing on career, and it just was not enough. And I basically went on LinkedIn, really optimized my profile. I started applying to jobs, relentlessly reaching out to companies, and the company that ended up hiring me, I had a few at the end make an offer, um, but the company that ended up hiring me found me through LinkedIn because I had optimized my profile so much, they actually found me on search. One thing I've often heard and I wonder a lot about is that as a new coder, they say that you don't exactly get hired on your coding skills because you're new. You don't really have any coding skills yet. And so things like your communication and your collaboration skills and how you present yourself and things like that can go a long way. 
But I also recognize that anybody listening to that advice might be a bit like, okay, that sounds good, but what do I specifically do? I felt the same way. For a while when people were saying that to me, I was very suspicious because I just thought work on the tech skills. But as a junior developer, when you don't have those skills, people that really you know want to hire you, they're going to be looking at your soft skills because they're going to be mentoring you. They're going to be working one-on-one, pairing with you. And as painful as it is, I think just going that little extra mile and finding a way to kind of stand out in the soft skills side, or maybe using your past experience or past volunteer experience, you know, maybe putting your Scrimba certification on your LinkedIn profile, all those kind of small things really add up into getting you hired. Maybe we could talk about LinkedIn specifically, since it was so successful for you. What are some of the things you can do on LinkedIn, which will have a high impact? on your job search and your prospects. Many people don't know, but if you actually fill out your LinkedIn profile and you completely, you know, 100%, it's filled out, you're a LinkedIn all-star, you show up higher in search. When a recruiter goes onto LinkedIn search, you know, they're typing in the job they want to hire for. And if you have a lot of connections, if you have a filled out LinkedIn headline, if you have a bio, a summary that's really kind of stands out, If you have a profile photo and you have past work experience, and if you don't, if you have certifications, if you fill out your past volunteer experience, if you have a recommendation, all those things really go a long way to making you look like a real person. And I love to make fun of LinkedIn. You know, nobody really likes LinkedIn anymore, but it is really impactful in getting you a job. And we can't discount that. It does work 100%. Recruiters are often searching for the job they want to fill. Maybe it's React developer, maybe it's JavaScript developer. A lot of people will write something like aspiring React developer, or they'll write their current title because they don't want to, you know, claim they're a JavaScript developer, even though they haven't been paid to do that yet. I did that. I wrote. Did you, did you really? I wrote aspiring developer. I did. <laughs> and that was a mistake. It's so important, you know, just write front end developer, React developer. You need some confidence, don't you? Like, I totally get it. Like, I know that when you're new to the industry and you don't know what you don't know and what's acceptable and what the etiquette is, you, you want to tread lightly, but you do have to present yourself in the best possible light on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And it's definitely very intimidating and scary. I did not want to put my next job title that I wanted as my LinkedIn headline because I felt like an imposter, I felt like a poser, but it really does help you show up in search. And it's so important to have recruiters looking for you while you're job hunting, because you know you can only apply, I say it all the time, but you can only apply to so many jobs per day. But if you have recruiters actively finding you, it kind of really expands your reach. You could be a door-to-door salesperson or you could be Amazon and everybody comes to you, hopefully. <laughs> That's great, I love that. Here's a question for you, Randall, because you know the all-star thing on LinkedIn, I don't think I even have that because it wants me to fill in my highest level of education and I don't have a computer science degree. I think you could fill in high school, college, GED, it really just wants you to put something there. Someone could put a scrum certificate there. When I graduated my coding bootcamp, I actually put my coding bootcamp there, which helped me get a job. And what do you think about recommendations and endorsements on LinkedIn? Because I think the point you were making is that you want to appear as like you're a real person that will increase the person looking at your profile's confidence, that you are you know, a serious prospect and you're a personable person to speak to. I think there's a fine line between getting genuine endorsements and recommendations and them looking a bit engineered. I don't know what the best way to go about that is. What do you think? I think 
a lot of coding boot camps, which I think is very wrong, tell students that they should go online and they should just get a friend to recommend them or they should get, you know, a fellow student. And I personally think that's wrong because I think it's far more impactful, even if you haven't had a past job. If you have, great. But if you haven't had a past job, go to someone maybe you volunteered with or maybe, you know, a professor in college or I don't want to say a friend, but someone that you worked with in some type of capacity before that actually knows about your work ethic, because that comes across a lot more genuine than really those canned responses. Like the coding bootcamp I went to, they actually told every student to just go on their LinkedIn profile and recommend someone else. And when you've known someone for two months, it's not really going to be the best recommendation. (laughs) You generally want to have someone, you know, who's worked with you in some type of capacity in an actual job. One idea I've learned that I think is worth sharing is that if you do a bit of freelancing work for someone, that could be a short-term opportunity, maybe on Upwork or something like that. You could even ask them to give you a recommendation on LinkedIn potentially and talk about your process and your ethics and things like that. And here's an interesting thing about breaking into tech. There are many people who are brand new to it, but a lot of people are also transitioning from previous jobs or industries or experiences. And they often feel like they're starting from scratch, like, oh, starting from the beginning, nothing's going to transfer with me. I've got no recommendations. You just hinted at the fact that you could potentially go to someone in your past life. And while they can't talk about your JavaScript knowledge, they can talk about your attitude and what you're like to work with and things like that. Yes. I hate when people say that they feel they are starting from zero when they've had past work experience because you're above the game. You're above a CS degree at that point. You are on a next level because You've had a professional capacity of working with someone and you've shown that, you know, you can hold a job, that you have these communication skills, you know, you have the soft skilled side. And I think it's powerful. I think it's really impactful to your job hunt. And so many people kind of disregard that. And like you said, they feel bad. They feel like they're starting from zero. But I think it's so great when you're job hunting, if you put your past experience Uh, For me, I kind of tried to hide my past experience on LinkedIn when I was applying to a job. And Really shortly on, I realized that was a huge mistake because I just look like someone with no experience in anything. And then I immediately put that I even had raised guide dogs for the blind, that I had done volunteer work as a kid. I put that I had worked on multiple political campaigns and I had worked in like Joomla way back when, you know, a million years old. But things like that really helped me get my first job because it showed that I could keep a job, that I was dependable. And I wish people didn't feel like they were just starting from zero because sometimes your past experience is even more impactful than a CS degree. Coming up on the Scramba podcast, do self.developers have an unfair advantage? Some of the best developers that I've ever worked with, the most talented, incredible people that have started companies, or they are just the most brilliant developers on the absolute planet, they're self-taught. I will be right back with Randall in just a second. But first, Jan, the producer, and I wanted to read some of your comments about the podcast from social media. Blake Tolliver from Ohio, whose Twitter bio says they're focusing on becoming a software developer by 2024, tweeted about the Scrimba podcast as part of 100 Days of Code. They mentioned in the same tweet that they just ordered the book, How to Think Like a Programmer. I can't remember if we or one of our guests mentioned that, but if they did, I hope we put a cheeky Amazon affiliate link in there because gotta pay the bills somehow, Jan. I mean, might as well. Of course, I'm joking. The Scrimba podcast is brought to you in association with Scrimba and all of our courses, which you can check out at scrimba.com as well. Trust me, we're not making any money directly from this free podcast with no ads. And speaking of 100 Days of Code, I think our crew on Twitter is getting bigger every week. 
SRJ Codes tweeted, Listen to the latest two episodes of the Scrimmer podcast on my drive home. I have to say, they were both very motivating and they set me up well for my learning this morning. Hashtag 100 Days of Code, day 14. And Hunter Owen tweeted, After listening to yesterday's episode of the Scrimmer podcast, I've decided to finally commit to 100 Days of Code. Hearing Spencer reflect on how having a habit tracker helped him inspired me to start keeping track of my own progress. I've been learning on and off for about a year and staying motivated has been my biggest roadblock. With the help of Scrimba Discord and everyone involved with hashtag 100 days of code, I'm confident this run will be the one that finds me success. Hunter, good luck. You got this. And our final tweet for today, Ruben at RKOT underscore nine says, The Scrimba podcast for new programmers gives you a different kind of motivation. Thank you for tweeting, everybody, and good luck in your coding journeys. And now we're back to the interview with Randall. Let's talk a little bit about your book, which is called The Standout Developer. What was your motivation to write that? Like, where did the aha moment come from that you should write it? And and what kind of things can people expect from that book? When I started kind of thinking about writing the book, it was because I realized so many people didn't know what I thought were the basic things in getting a job as a developer. And as I said, when I started out, I didn't really know much about the technical one. To me, that was a huge weak spot. But I did know that I should contact my mom for help on my resume and that I should get you know someone to help me put together a great personal website and all of those kind of little things. And that I knew I had to answer the soft skills side of questions in an interview really well. And I had to present myself well and I had to show up and look a little bit pulled together. I didn't, you know, no flip-flops, for instance, in an interview. Those kind of things, I didn't realize that so many people didn't know that and they felt very lost when they were job hunting. And when I got onto the hiring manager side, I realized I was getting all these resumes of people reaching out and they didn't know how to put together a good resume. And they didn't know, you know, I would ask someone, why do you want this job? And they would say, I just really want to make more money. I just want to live in the city. I want to move to San Francisco. And it's a very honest answer, but it's not really the right answer. You want to spend 10 minutes even researching the company and you want to you know, present yourself in the best light that you want this job and that you will work hard to get this job. And I realized people didn't know that. Even for my first job, I taught myself Ember.js just for one interview at one job because I thought that would be impactful. And then I ended up immediately getting that job. Little things like that can really make the difference between a hire or a no hire. And it was so painful to me because so many people don't know that. They just think it's all about the technical skills. They don't think about a personal website or blog post or being on Twitter or going to meetups. So my book really has a lot of those things, uh, like writing a standout resume, creating a great portfolio, working on an amazing website, small things like that that you don't really think about, but actually lead you to getting a job. I want to come back to that question, which is, why do you want the job? I'm really curious to learn how you'd answer it. But first, I have a challenge for you, Randall. Ooh, okay, scary. So in your book, you have a few chapters on things that will help you stand out. And so you wrote about building a social media following, creating a successful blog, speaking at conferences, nailing the resume, and nailing your portfolio. If you had to pick just one to focus, this is why it's hard. If you had to pick just one to focus on to have the biggest impact on your career, which one would you focus on, do you think? Probably working on a really strong resume. 
average hiring manager looks at your resume for about seven seconds. And so many times people have way too long of a resume. They have put no effort into it. There's, you know, grammatical errors, there's spelling mistakes, and just a few small tweaks and creating a stronger resume. Then you email that resume to a company and, you know, maybe you say, hey, I looked on your website. I found this bug. I found this UI issue. Or, hey, this is a great product idea that I've been thinking about for your company. And here's my resume. I know so many people have gotten hired just from that. And it's really scary. It's so much easier to go on LinkedIn and, you know, easy apply to something. And that doesn't bring results. That's not going to get you to where you want to go. Hmm. It's interesting because to stand out, you're going the path least traveled. Like if everybody is applying via LinkedIn or by sending their resume, if you can find both a creative avenue to get in touch and show value and make it easy for them to consider you because you have a nice resume, you stand out. You do. And it's definitely a little more painful. It's not fun. (laughs) It's definitely worse. You know, it's very scary to do that, to put yourself out there like that. And I think, for instance, going to meetups, it's something that is very nerve wracking. And I did not want to do that as a junior developer. The coding bootcamp I went to, they would suggest that you start going to meetups and they would have a list of meetups. And I pretty much avoided doing that until after I started job hunting. And that was a big mistake because many people I knew at the time just had met a connection through a meetup or on Twitter. And I didn't really have that because I was so scared of putting myself out there. I mean, immediately when I graduated my coding bootcamp, I deleted all of the blog posts they'd made me write, which was a huge mistake. And I really wish I had those now. (laughs) Why'd you delete them? I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I thought they were low quality. And then I thought if people read them, they would think I wasn't a real developer. And I just want to kick myself now (laughs) thinking that. I've done the same, actually. Like, I always felt like I wanted to craft a very specific online image. Like I wanted to look like I knew everything. I even never asked questions. This is a confession sign, Randall. I don't know why this is coming out all of a sudden. I used to make a second Stack Overflow account to ask questions because if they saw that I was asking loads of questions on my main Stack Overflow account, I thought I might look like a noob or something like that. Oh my gosh, this is confession time. I'm so sorry you felt like that, but I completely relate. It's weird, isn't it? But Yeah, I suppose just going back to the point about the resume, I'm not that surprised you would pick it as the most important. It's true, isn't it? But you never know when an opportunity might come your way if you're doing some of the other things you wrote about in your book. And one of the first things companies will often ask you if they meet you at a meetup and they say, oh, Randall, you seem like a very interesting, determined person. Send me your resume and I'll run it up the flagpole kind of thing. You don't want to be in a position where where you're like, oh no, I have to learn about and write a resume right now. It's good to have that kind of resource to go. What do you think makes a good resume? I think what makes a really great resume, especially if you're a junior developer, is focusing on maybe just one impactful project that you've worked on and linking to it. And if you have had past work experience, really going into detail about things you've actually worked on. So many people, this is my biggest pet peeve when it comes to resumes, so many people on their resumes just say, I manage the code base or I built this app. They don't say, I increased the code coverage on this app from 30% to 50%. They say, I maintain this code base on this open source project, but they don't say, I actually worked on this and I did this and it impacted this. And that is so powerful for a hiring manager to look at because if you're just putting a bunch of kind of bland things, it's not going to be as powerful as saying what you've actually worked on and going into detail. And even if that means it takes up more space on your resume and you don't get to go into you know other things, it's going to be far more powerful. 
And then I also, I think another big pet peeve of mine for resumes, and this is like a really big one, is putting like 50 different skills on your resume. And even senior engineers do this. Even tech leads do this. I see this all the time on resumes. They have like 50 to 100 different skills and everyone knows you don't know that many skills. Maybe you kind of have a breadth of knowledge, but you really need to narrow down. And I think when you apply to a job, tailoring kind of those skills and showcasing what's most impactful to the job is something that a lot of people don't really think about. Like anytime you apply to a job, your resume should be tailored to that job. You should be looking at the job posting and you should be tweaking your resume a little bit. And for instance, if they're looking for someone to maybe upgrade in Rails, you should talk about how you upgraded your Rails version in one of your personal projects. Things like that, that just really show that you kind of have that past experience in some way, even if it's open source, even if it's a small project that you've worked on, even if it's a small app that you've built, just so much more impactful. I really want to dig into this a little bit, Randall, undoing the stack, so to speak, going back to your first point, which is about representing your contribution in terms of numbers and specifics, because you said it's powerful. And I agree. I can totally see why that's powerful. But it's really hard. It's really hard <laughs> to do that. That's a hard skill. It is really hard to do. And it's not fun. And uh, what I do personally, um, I've been doing this for seven years, almost exactly seven years in February. Every single day, I write down what I've achieved. I have a little to-do list of like what exactly I'm going to do today to move my career forward. And when I started out as a junior developer, I wrote down every project I worked on, all the impact I had, any compliment someone gave me, which was, it's actually kind of embarrassing to admit that. I guess it's more confessional, <laughs> but I would write down if a senior engineer told me something or a manager told me something that I did well, I would write that down. And not only did it help me, you know, when it came to advocating for myself for a promotion, it was a huge help. And, you know, nobody really told me to do that or something else. I just started doing on my own, but it helped me in writing my next resume because I was able to really look back at my notes and think, oh, okay, actually I did launch this amazing project and it was really helpful. I did work on this open source piece of work and it did move the company forward. Or I went to this training and for me, I still have all the trainings I've ever went to on my LinkedIn, all the impactful ones. But I think it was something that a lot of people are kind of don't really think about doing, writing down every day something you've achieved. Maybe it's something you can start at the end of the week you just write something that you accomplished that week, but you can look at that at the end of the year and that can write your resume for you. There you go. Your resume is done. You, you mentioned advocating for yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think you're in a position today where like you've experienced so much, you've realized that things aren't always as scary as they seem. You seem incredibly confident as well. But I know that a lot of people feel like either embarrassed or shy or undeserving of advocating for themselves. It could be to do with imposter syndrome. But frankly, it's not hard to imagine that when you're a junior dev applying to a company, you feel grateful. You're like, oh, I haven't got a degree. They could hire anybody. They're picking me. You feel almost grateful for it. And it makes it hard to advocate for yourself, whether that's to do with a position or compensation um, or anything like that. What's your experience been like? How have you got to where you are today? I felt exactly the same way when I started out. My first job, uh, I had kind of a few options when I graduated my coding bootcamp. One was going to be a higher paid job and I was going to make more money, but the opportunity wasn't as exciting. And then another was a small startup and they were offering a two month apprenticeship where I would make, I think I made around $30 an hour, something around there, maybe 30, 35. I forget the exact number. 
And it was a two-month contract. It was supposed to be three, but thankfully they ended it early and actually ended up hiring me. It worked out, but I was grateful to have that. And it was living in San Francisco when it was kind of the peak of how expensive things were. That was not a livable wage. And the title, you know, was a very kind of lowly title. It was like apprentice software engineer. It wasn't even a guarantee of a job. But I was so thrilled to have that opportunity. I just thought I should just take what I should get. And then meanwhile, the people that were graduating my coding bootcamp, it took them a little bit longer to get a job. But when they did, they had better titles, they had better pay. But because of my imposter syndrome, I took that really, really low paid job that wasn't really even a job. It was a contract gig. And thankfully, you know, it went amazing for me. I had great mentors there. They did eventually give me a salary bump. But about a year into that, I realized that I still had a lot to learn, but I was doing so much. I was working seven days a week. I was there nights. I was really putting my all into that job. And pretty much everybody else made about 50 grand to 100 grand to 150K more than me, no matter if their title was the same, no matter if we kind of had the same amount of experience. I had not advocated for myself. I had not negotiated for myself. And really, I let that kind of anger fuel me into asking for a really high promotion and a huge salary bump. Because I looked around and I saw people doing the same amount of work as me, if not less in some cases, because I was working way too much. I was working seven days a week. And I let that kind of anger fuel me into asking for more. And I've kind of tried to I've wavered on that a little bit. Sometimes I don't value myself still and I go into something with less than what I deserve. And that has happened to me many times over the last seven years. But I always try to go back to that feeling of, hey, I am worth it. I am valuable. I am a valuable employee. I'm going to put my all into it and no matter what I'm going to do. So I should be worth at least what other people are making. Did that pan out well in the end? Like, did, were they receptive to your negotiation? They did. I actually went in and I said, hey, Google is interested in me and I could go to Google or you could give me the fair promotion that I deserve here and the salary bump that I deserve. And I think within about a month of that, they made it happen. And it was probably the scariest moment of my life. I was had a little like piece of paper of, you know, all the reasons that I deserve the promotion and my hands were like shaking. Like I was just like, I had to put the paper down because I was like, you don't look confident if you're you're a paper shaking in the wind. But you were confident. The confidence to do that is unreal. Good for you. Thank you. It was terrifying. You sort of mentioned coming out of your boot camp, you had an offer from Apple and then along the way, you had some interest from Google. That puts you in the 0.1% in my opinion. Like, how did you accomplish that? Like, what was it about your background and the things you were doing that enabled you those opportunities? Yeah, it was nothing about the technical skills. I have to say, I mean, I did work hard. I don't want to you know, negate that at all. I did work really hard on the technical side. Uh, I had to learn Ember, my very first job coming from, you know, I worked in Angular and Rails. I suddenly was trying to figure out Scala code and I was looking all the time, you know, trying to figure out Ember.js really quickly. But I started going to a lot of meetups and I was working about seven days a week. I was working, you know, every weekend I was working nights. I was getting there at the office in the morning, even if I had been there really late working. 
I would be at the office bright and early in the, you know, Monday morning, even if I had been working late on Sunday. So I really want to put in that effort because I felt so below everyone else. I thought I had to work on the technical, but a lot of it was things that I really like to discuss on Twitter and in my book, building those network connections, going to meetups all the time, working on my personal website, working on my blog, working on my LinkedIn and kind of standing out in other ways because there are so many amazing developers out there that they do have the technical skills, but they're not visible and they don't advocate for themselves. And they're frustrated in their jobs because they're not visible and no one can really make them those really big offers. And they have the technical skill, but they're not getting those offers you know, from Apple or Google, for instance. I think uh, Scott Hanselman coined the term like dark matter developers. There are literally so many developers out there that nobody has or will ever see. When you create a sort of surface area where you can be discovered, whether that's through meetups or blogging or a great LinkedIn profile, it makes your life so much easier because you're doing the hard work already. No one else is going to do it for you. Like you really have to take responsibility for it. And that's not always easy. No, it's very scary. I think walking in and asking for that senior software engineer promotion about a year and four months into my first job was terrifying. I was like, how can you think that you deserve this? But then I would compare myself to the other engineers at the time. And I was going above and beyond. And I was managing teams already. And I was, you know, helping things get across the finish line. And I think those kind of the dark matter developers, they're amazing. That, that was definitely me for a while. And I think I just kept my head down. But at the end of the day, there's only so many apply, jobs you can apply to. But if you have companies actively reaching out to you, you really don't have to apply to jobs anymore. At some point in your career, for instance, me, I just, I don't apply to jobs anymore. I just respond to the companies that reach out to me. Another kind of quote I remember when I was learning to code and figuring out how to get my first dev job, there was no playbook. It wasn't easy by any means. There was no guarantee of success either. I picked up this book by John Sonmez. I forget the title, but the real thing that stood out to me about that book is there are probably lots of people trying to be rock stars who are amazing musicians, like great guitarists, great vocalists. But actually, it's not the only thing that makes a rock star. Like it's to do with the image and the marketing and how you present yourself and who you network with and who you know and things like this. And it just got me thinking that like if Nickelback can become like an amazing band with a bunch of sales, then I could become a senior developer. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. I love that analogy. Let's talk a little bit about managing your time as a new developer. Fortunately, nowadays, there are a lot of resources that can help you stay on track. But one of the biggest benefits of like going to university or something like that is that you do have a path laid out in front of you. You have checkpoints along the way. I think when you're learning by yourself, you really have to make that path for yourself. You have so many options. It's not always easy to stay on track. What would you recommend to someone listening in terms of how to stay productive and motivated while they do it? I actually would print out this little grid and I would put it on my wall and it had 400 little check boxes on it. And every day that I coded, I would check one off. And if I missed it, I couldn't check that off. And even if it was only 15 minutes, I at least had that kind of little structure that kept me motivated every day. Because I really believe there's so many books on this that I love, but I really believe that there's no such thing as motivation. And I mean, that's not true. There's a little motivation sometimes. Sometimes you will feel motivated to sit down and learn how to code. Sometimes you're going to go want to run and work out. But other times you really just have to spend 10 minutes working on something and you will feel successful and that success will create motivation. That feeling of like feeling good that you sat down and you watched a scrimba video or you know you worked on a little lead code problem, that feeling will create actual motivation for you. 
So that's kind of very near and dear to my heart. That's what I did as a junior developer. And another thing I think is really important to stay on track as a junior developer is to realize whether it's your first job or you're starting to learn how to code in that it's more impactful for your job, for your learning, if you focus on results and not just really the amount of time or, you know, getting through some tutorial or anything like that, but focusing on real results. And it's something that really I painfully learned at my first job because I would spend very early on a lot of time working on something and I would just have to say in stand up, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do next. This didn't work. And I would dread going to the stand up every day. I'd be like, oh, sorry, I have a doctor's appointment. I actually did. I did have doctor's appointments. Or I would have some kind of reasoning that I was just like, I just hate being in that meeting. I would sometimes literally think, okay, I, can I like faint on the way to work so I don't have to go to my stand-up right now? It was just such a, like a fear factor for me. I was terrified. But that kind of all changed for me when I realized that I had to focus more on just working relentlessly on getting some kind of result every day. And I still do that in my current job. I did that when I was and my first job, and it's always been really helpful to me because I think about what is actually going to move things forward for the company today and what can I do to achieve that? And it kind of reverse the whole thing of thinking of, I just have to put in nine hours and that's enough because I started thinking, okay, what can I actually do today that's going to get results? And it makes me work a lot faster. I do Pomodoros and I get a lot more done in a short amount of time. So you're saying that like you want to focus on the little wins because they will create momentum for the rest. I think the Pomodoro is awesome for that, by the way. If you just sit down and you force yourself to work for 25 minutes, chances are you'll work a little bit longer because the, the hardest thing is getting started. But you're also kind of saying that to be great, you have to be good every day. So you mentioned sort of about striving for the results. And I think I understand, like, I think a lot of people when they're watching Scrimber, even they will set a goal, like, I'm just going to finish this module. I'm going to watch this course. Frankly, you'll feel productive. You will be sitting at your desk for a long time. But unless you're retaining that information or you're practicing it, that's probably not the best thing for you. Am I on the right track? Am I following you? Absolutely. When I was teaching myself how to code, like I said, I spent eight months teaching myself how to code before I went to a coding boot camp. And a lot of that was wasted time because I would start one tutorial, I would get stuck or I wouldn't understand it. And I would just say, okay, well, on to the next tutorial. I learned what I could get from that one. And looking back, I wish someone would have just came in like slapped me and said, what did you actually get out of that? <laughs> like, What was your actual project that you worked on? Because back then I thought that's how you learn how to code. But something I love about Scrimba is that there's actual action items. There really isn't that in a lot of learning resources. A lot of resources are just, here, read this book. You know, here, just watch this tutorial. But I think applying that knowledge because, you know, it's kind of sort of like you can't read a book about running. You have to actually just go out and run every day. It's kind of similar to coding. You kind of said that on your resume, one of the best things you can do is build one project and make that a successful project. It could be the same. You could be learning, but as long as you're making progress in your project, that's a really clear result that will not only prove that you're remembering what you learn, but create a sort of knock-on effect where now it's a great project to feature and talk about the challenges and an interview and stuff like that. Yeah, that's very near and dear to my heart. I've seen so many junior developers create just something that they've worked on independently that was outside of tutorials. And even if it was a tutorial, building on top of that and just learning and showing that they have those skills, so impactful to your job search. It cannot be understated. <laughs> You can feel so productive following a tutorial, cloning an app or something like that, but it often leads to people ending up in 
what we call tutorial hell, where you can't really stand on your own two feet. Like if you want to build a tic-tac-toe game, you won't search about the underlying concepts. You will just Google how to build tic-tac-toe. And that's fine when you're learning, but eventually you're tasked to build a freelance project or add a feature to work. And you can't exactly Google, how do I add this specific feature to this freelance job? Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, right? If it's a tutorial at the beginning, that can be okay. But at some point you have to take the training wheels off and that can be scary, honestly. I definitely remember vividly following tutorials, like there was no tomorrow and thinking that that was going to give me results. And by the time I went to my coding bootcamp, I got there and I, you know, built a Ruby on Rails app through a tutorial. I think it was like the Michael Hart tutorial. I forget. But I kind of went to the bootcamp and I realized that I didn't know anything more than anyone else. I didn't know anything more than someone that had just started a week before the bootcamp because I had spent all this time instead of actively learning and taking action. Long story short, I also feel very strongly that tutorials are so great at the very beginning and they're, they can be helpful throughout your career, but it's so much more powerful to put that tutorial down and really just try to build something small, even if it's building something small on top of the tutorial. You reminded me of something that I've been meaning to learn more about. It's something that I've been playing with in my head, but I've not really shared because I'm not so confident. So, so I'm just going to see what you think, which is that when you go to university, I feel like because you get the curriculum and you do it alongside everybody, I'm sure there are modules and things like that, but largely everybody is coming out with roughly the same knowledge. I think a lot of university is there to help you get a job. So they give you the skills they think will make you employable. It doesn't always work out that way, by the way. It's going to be a lot harder to get a C or C++ job compared to JavaScript or React or something. But, but what I'm thinking is that when you go the self-taught route, you are taking on a bunch of new challenges. You have to be self-directed. But maybe it creates the opportunity to be a standout developer because you're kind of unique, right? Like you've got unique skills and a unique perspective. I thought who better to ask than the author of the standout developer? What do you think? I totally agree. I think some of the best developers that I've ever worked with, the most talented, incredible people that have started companies or they are just the most brilliant developers on the absolute planet, they're self-taught. And I don't want to say everyone amazing is self-taught because that's not true. It's really, it doesn't matter whether or not you have a CS degree. It matters your level of determination on teaching yourself because, you know, there's a new technology out every other year at this point. We have to be constantly learning and that can be a little bit exhausting. It can be very exciting, invigorating, depending, you know, on the day of the week, maybe. The best people that I've worked with, they were completely self-taught and they just kept showing up every day and figuring it out. And you know what? All those people, they all told me they had imposter syndrome. And they were ashamed to admit it. And these are people that have sold companies. They have CS, some of them have CS degrees even. And they all still feel that kind of, you know, bad imposter syndrome feeling all the time. Do you have any sort of like closing words or final advice for anybody who's learning to code and looking for their first junior developer job? I would say stick with it every day, even if it's only 15 minutes, just that small effort really matters. And then Find something unique about you to use in your job hunt because a lot of people, they might have more technical skills than you. They might have past work experience, but you can find that little bit of just something special that pushes you over the edge. Damn it. I forgot to ask, how do you answer that question? Which is like, why do you want to work here? I'm sorry. That was such a beautiful ending. I just have to ask. I wish everyone on earth could just figure out that one answer um, for me. I spend 10, 20, 30 minutes reviewing a company, uh, researching them online, looking at their Twitter account, looking at their LinkedIn, looking at their latest blog posts, and finding something substantial to actually talk about. So instead of talking about you, talking about something that the company does that is impactful to you. 
I love kind of helping people. So a lot of the companies I've worked at recently are all about improving people's lives. Uh, one company helped executive assistants be more valuable in their jobs and help them create job security and made them the most professional, amazing assistants on the planet. And just finding that little bit of something. So instead of saying, I just you know want a higher salary or I hate my current job, which they might be true, but neither are ever gonna look well. <laughs> it's not gonna go over well. Randall Connor, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Alex. This is amazing. And next week on the show, Leo will tell us about his coding journey. I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but in the 80s, this movie came out. And of course, I watched it much later when I was eight or nine years old. The movie's called War Games. And that movie completely changed my life, you know, because the movie is about this kid who wants to hack into a gaming company. Uh, he wants to find out more about this new game that's coming out. He ends up hacking into the government computer and causing like a World War III scenario. And it's an awesome movie. And so I, at that time, being eight years old, I just completely fell in love with computers you know and i knew that one day i was gonna do something with computers leo is next tuesday on the scrimba podcast this is a weekly show so if you made it this far please subscribe you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts if you're feeling extra supportive we would also really appreciate a five-star review on apple podcasts spotify or whatever maybe your podcast client of choice if you can rate and review podcasts please rate and review hours. The show is hosted by Alex Booker. You can find his Twitter handle in the show notes. I've been Jan, the producer, and we'll be back with you next Tuesday.